listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. a visitor here with us today. First off, welcome. We're glad you're here. We are in the midst of an Advent sermon series called Wait For It, where we are talking about all of the things that we wait for in life. And I'm not just talking about waiting for parking at the mall or uh, waiting to get in line at at Walmart or uh, even waiting for the Vikings game to buffer. By the way, can we just take a moment to appreciate... Minnesota sports teams. This does not happen very often. But as Christians, this waiting is is even more poignant because we wait for peace, we wait for hope, we wait for joy, we wait for love, we wait for all of these good things to be fulfilled totally and completely by God. Even on our best days on earth here, we catch maybe just glimpses and glimmers of them But in the meantime, we we wait for God to fulfill His promises, knowing that He is a God who keeps His promises. So this is what Advent is all about. It's It's a season of preparation and of waiting. And today we're talking about dreams. We wait for our greatest hopes and dreams to come true. We all have dreams for our life, right? Maybe you want to be a a professional basketball player, football player. Katie, I'm not looking at you, don't worry. I'm just looking at the, the other kids here. Maybe you've got these, we've all got these dreams of what we want to be, what we hope to be when we would grow up, right? And maybe your dream is a nice lake home where you can retire and enjoy time with the kids and the grandkids. Maybe you always wanted to author a book, to, to join the ministry or own a house with a white picket fence, kind of settle down, get those two and a half kids, Right? All of these, by the way, are good. They are good dreams. Dreams are a gift from God. I don't know what your hopes and dreams are, but I know you've got them, or at least at at some point you had them. So let me ask you this. How have those dreams turned out for you? If you were to honestly reflect on your dreams and what you hoped, what you anticipated, and the reality you're living right now, how closely do those two align? What would you say? Have you got about 50% of what you're hoping for? Maybe some of you are kind of living the dream, and, and that's great. Maybe others of you would say, you know, I kind of put my dreams on hold right now. I press the pause button. Are your dreams broken? Are they shattered? My guess is that if we're honest with ourselves, we'd be forced to admit When we compare our dreams with reality, we would say they don't completely match up. We all have our dreams. So did Joseph, until a different dream came along. So let's hear about it. This is from the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me now. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I'll be reading out of the ESV. It'll be displayed on the screen here so you can follow along if you would like to. And let's rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. 
Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. It goes like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful Christmas story. I pray that as we dive into this text, that, that my words would not be my own, God, but but that they would be yours, and that they would be honoring and pleasing to you, God. And I ask the same for all of our thoughts. Please bless our time together this morning, God. Work on our hearts, work on our minds, work at a deep level, God, that we didn't even know that we needed for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We don't know much about Joseph. His biography is pretty scant. We know he was a descendant of Abraham and David. The genealogy at the very beginning of Matthew says as much. The way that Matthew does this is, is he breaks up the genealogy, which is like a family tree, breaks it up into three separate 14-generation sections. And it's not meant to be exhaustive. When they gave genealogies back in that time, it didn't include everyone. They left certain things out, but it was intended to convey something very important. This, this symmetry was intended to convey a sense of completeness. So Joseph is, is the last guy in the family line of Abraham that was the last one to set the stage before the Messiah was to come. Joseph, husband of Mary. We also know Joseph was a God-fearing man. Matthew describes him as just or righteous. In other words, Joseph was a, a faithful Jew, observing the commandments of the Torah and living a life of obedience to Yahweh, seeking to do what was right. So basically, Joseph is the kind of guy that you would want your daughter to bring home and say, guess what? We got some news. Joseph's a good guy, right? He's honest, He's an example of piety and virtue who treats his fiancée well. But Joseph, like every other character in the Bible, was also human. Honest question here. Guys, for the guys in the room, if your wife came home to you and told you, I am pregnant and it is the doing of the Holy Spirit, how many of you might have some questions? I'm not alone, right? Joseph did too. And it's not like this was a normal thing back then, as if there was a support group for children conceived by the Holy Spirit Anonymous. 
the more likely explanation was that Mary was two-timing him. That's what Joseph initially thinks. Otherwise, he wouldn't have wanted a divorce. Joseph and Mary were engaged at the time, which in that culture, if you're engaged to someone, that's basically the same as being married to them. It was entering into a, a legally binding agreement. So even if they're not officially married or, or living together, which the text tells us, they're still going to need to file for divorce if they want to call off the wedding. And Joseph, he wants to start drawing up the papers. Even if this pregnancy truly was a work of the Holy Spirit, there's no way everyone in their lives was going to believe this, right? How do you explain that at the next family reunion? And Joseph was a construction worker. Can you imagine going down to the job site and some of the, the jokes that may have been hurled his way? What would the neighbors say? I mean, no doubt about it, this whole incident would have been perceived as scandalous. Joseph and Mary would have been hauled in as guests in the Mari Povich show. An unwed mother, an unplanned pregnancy, a damaged reputation. None of this was in Joseph's dream journal. None of it matched the hopes he'd had for his life. The temptation to run was real. The easiest thing was just quietly to, to extricate himself from the situation, from this whole mess and all of the messy people involved. He faced the temptation to look out for number one. And so do we. Like actors in the nativity play, we face the temptation to think we are the main characters. We're center stage, right? Spotlight on us. We're calling the shots. We're making our dreams come true. We're making our lives pan out the way we'd always hoped. The world revolves around me. This is the perennial cry of the human heart. So when we're confronted with the needs of other people, with their concerns, with needs that might derail our plans or put our dreams on hold, the temptation is to avoid that messy person or that messy situation because they might mess up my life or infringe on my schedule or even sully my reputation. See, when our dreams are, are threatened, we slip into self-preservation mode which means the needs of others take a back seat to my own. So easily the words of the Apostle Paul fall by the wayside. Philippians 2, 3b through 4, where he commands us, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, right, but also to the interests of others. See, the problem with single-mindedly and fixedly pursuing our own dreams is that our neighbors become collateral damage. And we inevitably leave their broken dreams in our wake. But let's get back to the story of Mary and Joseph. Because it doesn't end in divorce 
and shame and broken dreams. If it did, that whole prophecy that there would be a Messiah coming from the line of David would have ended then and there. But God had a different dream, a better dream, and he sent an angel to share it with Joseph. Here's what it says. But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Taking this pregnant, unmarried, scandalized woman to be his wife and her unborn child as his own. You see, it's not just the cross that's scandalous. It's the whole incarnation, too. The fact that God would leave heaven behind to become human, to, to wear our skin and to t become our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, that's pretty scandalous as well. I love what Athanasius, who was a, a really important figure in church history, a fourth century bishop who single-handedly basically kept the church from becoming Jehovah's Witnesses, modern day. You should do some research. Look into Athanasius. He, he wrote this little book on the incarnation. And here's what he says. He says, God saw how the surpassing wickedness of men was mounting up against them. He also saw their universal liability to death. All this he saw... And pitying our race, moved with compassion for our limitation, he took to himself a body, a human body, even as our own. He surrendered his body to death in place of all and offered it to the Father. This he did out of sheer love for us. The Apostle Paul speaks of this same scandal in 1 Corinthians 1, 22-23. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block. You know what the Greek word there is for stumbling block? Scandalon. Scandal is not my word, it is the Apostle Paul's word. Christ crucified is a stumbling block, a scandal to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Here's the deal. The story of Christianity is different from any story you have ever heard. And I don't just mean that it's true. It is most certainly true in every detail. But the big difference all comes down to one little word. Grace. Grace. Nowhere else outside of the Christian faith will you find this word used in the same way. 
Grace in the Christian sense is totally revolutionary, always surprising, knocks your legs out from under you and sets you free. Because grace means you get what you don't deserve because someone else served your sentence for you. You can remember it with this little acronym, what is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. Through faith, we receive the riches of God. We receive all of God's blessings, forgiveness, eternal life, salvation. But we don't pay any for anything for them. They're free. At least they're free for us. They cost God dearly. At the cross, Jesus took your sins upon himself. All of the bad things you've ever done, all of the thoughts you've ever had that you're not proud of, all of the regrets and failures and skeletons in your closet, all of the things you keep trying but, but can't forget, the guilt you can't shake, the ghosts of past wrongs that have either been done to you or that you have perpetrated, the words you wish you could take back, Jesus nails them to the cross and they die there with him. Never to haunt you again. See, friends, at the heart of the Christian faith, is not a God who says, try harder, but a God who says, it is finished. At the heart of the Christian faith is a God who doesn't say, try harder, but tells us and announces to us from the cross, it is finished. See, grace, by definition, means we get what we don't deserve. But instead, we are forgiven and free all because of Jesus. Jesus came to, to lighten our load, not to add to it. And he invites you this morning to bring your load to him, whatever it is, and to lay it down. At the manger, at the cross, Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Friends, at the heart of Christianity is Jesus, who did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. John 3.16, how does it go? You guys know it. Say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We have dreams for our lives, and then God has His dreams. What are His dreams for you? 1 Timothy 2, 3-4 puts it like this, God our Savior desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Friends, at Christmas, God put on human flesh to save us from sin and death and everything wrong in our world today. 
He is not only Emmanuel, God with us, he is God for us. God is in your corner. Do you know that? God is on your side. He's not against you. Whatever accusations your heart may, may throw in your face, and whatever the devil may say, God's words of love and mercy are stronger and truer still. In Jesus Christ, you have an advocate who put his own skin in the game, literally, to shield you from harm and to make peace, hope, joy, love, right? All of these things that always seem just out of reach into a reality. <laughs> That's what Jesus does. So may your hope be anchored in Christ alone this Christmas season. And may you find God's dreams infinitely more compelling than your own. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.